This is Terry Gibbons with the Center for Higher Education Leadership. Welcome to our podcast. We apologize for any technical issues with this one. We were going from Australia to California. So this is a really great discussion, however, with Maria Spies, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Terry Gibbons with the Center for Higher Education Leadership, and today we are talking to Maria Spees with Holon IQ. And so I wanted to just start off this discussion with a little bit about Maria's background and what she is doing with Holon IQ. And I know a lot of you out there who are higher administrators are following what's going on in EdTech and so on, but I think there's a lot of us who don't really know a lot about um, kind of what the latest trends are as innovations. So Maria is a great person to talk about that. And we'll start off with just, Maria, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Terry. Thanks so much. It's really, really wonderful to be here. Uh, I've been working in pretty much in education for about 25 years and mostly in higher education. I started out um, running an MBA program that was a alternative um, delivery model. So it was already fairly innovative way back then. And uh, the first postgraduate program I designed and delivered online was in 1996. And actually ever since then, I've been working with, the, uh, with technology in education uh, and the way in which technology can improve educational outcomes or provide access to delivery and so on. And um, the, last, the last nine years, I was the global head of learning and teaching services at a large uh, global company, education company. And I guess my job was innovation in the core, innovating in curriculum, new delivery models, new, new, um, new courses, academic professional development in terms of innovation, in particular in the use of technology. So I've always been in that space. And over the last three or four years, I was an EdTech investor, and that was a lot of fun, looking at what are the new models coming up, who's doing what um, globally, but what we found was it was just very difficult to find that information. It's quite fragmented, often under-digitised, certainly um, when you start looking globally. And so about a year ago, my co-founder and I set up Holon IQ, and the purpose is to connect those dots, um, strategic uh, sort of surfacing global innovations, connecting um, ideas and people, uh, whether it be business models, technology, growth, innovation, and, and investment. And so we have a research platform and a data platform um, and carry about it's over 50,000 education and ed tech companies. Um, we follow those um, and we categorize them into a sort of quite a detailed taxonomy of the way um, it, in, in terms of a learner life cycle, if, if you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and what I found interesting is you guys are really amazing at using graphics and um, you know, ways to present information that is really helpful. Yeah, look, I mean, one of the things where I think education, there's lots and lots of data, obviously, heaps yes. of data, lots of numbers and lots of word, um, but it's actually a bit overwhelming. And so what we tried to do was provide um, vi visualised data, visualised trends in a way that's accessible to people. That happens a lot in other industries, but for, in education, somehow you still have to dig down into massive spreadsheets and um, yeah. information that's just inaccessible. Yeah. 
are you still there? Because yeah, I, I'm here. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, sorry, we had a little glitch there. Um, so, uh, hold on, I can't, they, you guys recently sent out your annual report on AI and global education. Um, what were some of the key takeaways? Oh, I, the, the report was uh, such a great project to work on. One of the key things that I learned from the, from the AI project was that artificial intelligence is, is the fastest growing of the advanced tech in terms of spend. Um, and we, we, we predict that um, the, the spend on artificial intelligence in education will be somewhere like over $6 billion in the next five years. Um, it is, so it's the fastest growing. It's amazingly, um, it's already penetrated right through different parts of the education, different education parts of the sector, whether it be K-12 or higher ed or corporate training, and that uses of artificial inte uh, intelligence are so broad, but really still relatively unknown. And that's that surfacing this, these sort of global um, trends is it's part of what we're trying to do. So that it's, that it's the fastest growing. And we have a panel of about a thousand experts around the world and we ask them where they feel um, AI is going to have the most impact by sector. And K-12 uh, was right up there um, in, the, you know, in, in, the, in the very high impact. People feel that artificial intelligence is going to have an impact on K-12. Testing was the largest area followed by language learning. Um, and we also asked those people, uh, they're all from the education industry, we asked them about where was uh, AI already having an impact? In what part of the education um, value chain, if you like, was it already having an impact? And the greatest impact, which surprised me, was in learning processes. So that's right to the core of education. Um, this was followed by, so 80% of respondents said that um, artificial intelligence technology was already having um, a, a significant impact or a moderate impact on learning, learning processes. Mm -hmm. And that was followed by uh, security and identity. So people were using artificial intelligence for security identity and in some cases wellness. And I can talk about some of those use cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, could you talk a little bit? I mean, when they talk about learning processes, what are some of the things that people are talking about? So for example, um, uh, the, the personalization of curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so uh, or not just curriculum, but learning processes. So for a student um, to, who engages with curriculum and works through activities, um, undertakes sort of learning activities, um, artificial intelligence can help to provide a, a sort of adaptive and personalized approach to that. So um, we see a lot of those applications um, in, in actual learning processes. We also see some experimentation around um, the use of uh, sort of robotics for learning. And so that might be um, in say language learning, um, there's lots of applications where uh, a learner interacts with uh, a, a chat bot to learn English say. Mm -hmm. And so that is an application of artificial intelligence as well. One of the greatest areas of innovation that we've seen over the past probably two or three years is the use of vision-based artificial intelligence, and that is facial recognition 
emotion recognition, gesture recognition. And so say in online courses, and this is um, this really hasn't made the mainstream in terms of the K to 12 space, um, in terms of in the classroom, but certainly in online after school tutoring, um, language learning, especially in China, but not only, we see the tutors having a, uh, a synchronous video tutorial with, with students and the students, uh, there is facial and gesture recognition overlaid onto that students using the, using the video camera of the computer. Wow. Uh, and that can identify hallmarks on in facial expression of, of say, confusion, for example. Mm -hmm. And right. so the faces of those students, when the, when the teacher sees that on the video, is overlaid with, with sort of dots. And those dots change colour to red if there's confusion or anxiety or, you know, etc. Um, and the, the teacher can see straight away that, that that concept is, you know, not, um, is, you know, the students are confused about it or they're unsure. And then they can adjust their um, activity or teaching on, on the spot. Mm -hmm. And so actually this type of application of artificial intelligence is um, happening quite, there's lots and lots of applications of that outside the formal sector, but I do see that um, moving into the sort of formal teaching, especially as online delivery becomes much more prevalent. Um, in the adult sort of in higher ed and in corporate training, um, they're, using, they're using this exact same technology for, for um, interviewing. Mm -hmm for jobs or interviewing for college. Um, and that's where um, both natural language processing and vision-based AI overlay onto the video conference, um, you know, onto the video session mm -hmm. and, um, you know, provide, provide sort of summary of what's going on in terms of emotion or character. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, I think these applications are still bubbling away under the surface they haven't sort of broken through into mainstream but actually i don't think it's very long until that happens no i think you're right that's those are the kinds of things i think we're going to be seeing going forward so i mean given all of these things that are being developed can you talk about some of the ways that ai will figure into the strategic planning for higher ed leaders well look i think um you know i feel that higher ed leaders you know, have got a tough job because, you know, uh, in, investing in this sort of technology can be a little tricky and perhaps mm -hmm. expensive, but actually um, there are quite a number of organisations out there now who are, who are using AI at the core of their, of their product mm -hmm. and they are focused specifically on areas of learning. It could be... Um, personalised and efficient feedback, for example. Lots and lots of feedback in, you know, that, that takes a lot of time for academic staff. So thinking for higher leaders, thinking about artificial intelligence as um, tools that can assist in terms of efficiency without losing quality. There's lots of opportunities right across the value chain there from um, supporting um, student enrolment, uh, choice of college, student enrollment, and in particular, supporting the student experience. Um, it might be answering questions, a mm -hmm. chat bot to answer the questions, and there's applications.
applications there where um, uh, colleges and universities has saved massive amounts of time and money, but also have improved the student experience because an automated way of answering questions and helping students find what they need. Mm -hmm. um, so thinking, higher ed leaders thinking about artificial intelligence tools for efficiency, supporting student experience, but also supporting learning, learning processes, whether it be um, when, when a university is thinking about online delivery and worried about, say, for example, um, how to secure exam conditions for students who are remote, there are, there are applications that can, based on a, um, artificial intelligence, that, that can support these types of real world problems um, for, for leaders in higher ed. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, yeah, I think that that's a really good way to look at it. Um, so from your perspective, what are some of the other areas that are up and coming in ed tech? And, and I know you, you've been a, a funder and, and you work in these uh, arenas. Mm -hmm. um, what are the areas, I mean, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but what are some of the types of companies and, and technology that are being funded right now? It's really interesting. That's a great question because Still, um, you know, there's not, depending on the region and the country and the focus, there's, there's different areas. So what we see, for example, say in 2018, um, in education in the US or North America, um, those business models, technologies, solutions that were supporting ongoing adult upskilling received the greatest amount of venture capital funds. Mm -hmm. And so um, there is definitely, we see a, an appetite for supporting ongoing adult upskilling. Of course, there's the um, whole trend about uh, ongoing learning, micro learning, um, etc. That, that continues through models such as whether it be MOOCs or, you know, other sort of solutions. But um, now that, that sort of balance boundary between formal learning, informal learning, skills and jobs, that boundary is, is very porous right now. And so, um, you know, upskilling is a place where lots of funds um, were delivered last year in North America, sort of that. Um, in developing countries, we still see many, many dollars being, venture capital money being poured into language learning, test prep, still mm -hmm. um uh and um games and simulation uh tutoring after school that whole after school tutoring still lots and lots of venture capital in there in europe um uh there's there's funding still um being directed to content plays so new types of content. The world has got masses of educational content. Mm -hmm. Lots of it's a bit locked up, locked up and hard to access. And so there's new um, organisations and startups who are helping to sort of, you might say, unlock that masses of, of knowledge content in, in education um, and deliver it uh, much more easily in smaller chunks, um, you know, along with artificial in personalised and adaptive ways. There's lots of activity going on in that space as well. But we do see geographically some differences in where, um, where, where, where the sort of funding is going. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting that it's, you know, somewhat specific to the region of the world. Um, and I can see that, you know, there, that's really interesting to me about the content issue, because this is, of course, another mm-hmm. ongoing issue in higher ed, particularly about having open access and, and so on. And I think that's going to be an area that's going to be seeing a lot of activity um, in terms of figuring out how yeah, we're going I'd, to be delivering you, content. Quite right. I mean, the um, yeah, the traditional publishers are making many moves uh, in this space mm-hmm. and um, working hard to unlock and uh, well digitize, unlock and and make more accessible uh, the content that they have. You know, and in some cases, sort of locked up into into textbooks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we saw that with the uh, kind of standoff between UC Berkeley and, and Elsevier recently that, yeah, this yeah. is a, an ongoing issue about how, and but it really comes down to sharing knowledge to a certain extent. You know, how are we going to Absolutely. share knowledge going in the future, to, into the future? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and that issue has been, you know, hot in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things we're seeing is what's interesting when you zoom right out and have a look back down is the, um, the concept of, you know, in, in higher ed in particular, you have learning management platforms, learning management systems, LMS, mm-hmm. and typically they are void of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and the content is filled up by the learners and the teachers and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have content, which is over in another sort of bucket, um, and, you know, traditionally owned by or locked up by either publishers or, or academic staff, um, what we're seeing is the sort of merging of these platforms where um, adaptive, adaptive content, adaptive platforms has got content already um, and students make their way through that and add to it. So it's sort of a mushing up of content and platform. And that's, mm-hmm. that means content and delivery because the learner and the teacher contributes to the content, in fact, can can start changing the content based on the way in which they move through content and add to it. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing that, um, that merging. And so interesting how the traditional learning man- LMS players will, will move with that and also how the content players will move with that. We might see some consolidation um, between that, those two sort of buckets. Very interesting. Yeah, that's 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 definitely something to keep an eye on. And speaking of keeping an eye on thing, what things? Um, what is one thing that every higher ed leader should know about the world of ed tech going into the fall of twenty nineteen? I think um, one of the things that every higher ed leader should be thinking about is um, having their horizon over the edge of higher ed because higher education when when someone says higher education they think of university mm-hmm. but actually um, the world of work and upskilling like I was talking about before in terms of venture capital the different models um, you know outside let's not take for granted the the sort of higher ed structure in which we sit. I think that um, university leaders have an amazing opportunity to 
um, work closely with those who are innovating the, in the model of higher ed. That is post-secondary mm-hmm. learning mm-hmm. and how, how that might unfold in the future. And so I think every higher ed leader should be looking at alternative, not alternative, but additive and adjunct, whether it be um, models to, uh, to collaborate, partner, um, work with other types of providers that are, that are operating in the post-secondary space um, that are complementary to the skills and sort of strengths of traditional universities. That is definitely something that every higher ed leader should be looking at. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I, I think that that's something I'm running into at nearly every conference I go to. Everybody's talking about the future of work and, and ways that we can... Yep continue to work, you know, I mean, really your, your diploma, getting your diploma shouldn't be the end. And it, it never really is the end of your education, right? Um, it's, there's always something more that you have to learn. And, and it would be great if higher ed could do a better job of staying connected with um, students, but also focusing on, you know, new students um, and who are coming back into the learning space and thinking about it as more of just a broader uh, learning space. Yeah, you're quite right. Universities have um, universities are amazing institutions, and they have the opportunity to um, the, the universities have the opportunity to um, be have a relationship with learners yeah. all through their working career, not yeah. just in the three years that they're in college. Mm-hmm. Um, they have they have the the best opportunity to continue engaging. They're not built for that really, but others are. And so that's where the partnership or collaboration or, you know, um, that, that would come in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's going to have to be a a partnership with and collaboration with the employers Mm. and and corporations that will help uh, kind of define what that relationship is going to ultimately be. Right. Yeah. So, well, this has been a great conversation. I look forward to continuing it as we go forward. And we're going to be talking a lot about these issues, you know, the future of work and what's going on in ed tech, things like mm-hmm. AI. So um, I hope that we can get you back again, um, maybe this fall, to see what's going on as the new school year starts. And um, yeah, thanks again for, for joining us. This is, the again, the Center for Higher Education. We're at www.higheredleads, and our newsletter is www.higheredconnects. And you can also find our podcasts on our website. And we will be back again soon for our next well, installment. Well, thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's really wonderful having you, Maria. Thanks so much. Thanks, Terry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.